0: up guys. Happy Monday. It's off to a killer start. Hope you did your meditation, journaling, whatever it is that gets you off to a strong start. For me, it's usually, honestly, it's usually yoga. It's probably my favorite start to the day. So today, uh, what I want to talk about is money mindfulness. Now, the whole Zen business show is about mindfulness. And our relationship with money is a really, really important one to me. But it's very rarely taught, right? Like from not learning how to do our taxes in high school to not learning how to build a financial portfolio in college. These topics are still, in my mind, a little bit taboo, right? Money has a stigma associated with it, but that stigma, I think, only comes from an unhealthy relationship with money. So in this episode, I want to teach you to have a healthy relationship with money and to use it for good and then build a badass financial portfolio out of it. Now, a little bit about my journey here. I'm not as, <laughs> the sharpest crayon in the box right i was never gifted with intelligence everything i have to offer is just from grit from experience like getting out there and doing it like i was the kind of guy who would you know uh, try a new skate trick in front of the whole group and and, and wipe out but at the same time like kind of learn to have a thicker skin and and just I, I honestly feel like I took the long route, a lot of ways to get there. I mean, I think smarter people got there faster in terms of hitting the, the pinnacle of their success. And I mean, not that I'm at a pinnacle or anything, but just that ascent. I I don't think I was naturally gifted in that way. Um, and because of that, I had to do a lot of root learning. And I had to learn a lot of this stuff by trial and fire. You know, this, it, it, it wasn't, stuff that I was naturally gifted at. I'm not naturally that good in finance. I mean, consider this, I'm dyslexic. So when I read a spreadsheet, I read from naturally, I read from the right side of the page or my eyes gravitate to the right side of the page. That makes it really challenging to do spreadsheets. But because of that insecurity that I had when I was younger, I got really good at spreadsheets. This is when I was at Comcast as a marketing strategist. And eventually I became a a budget manager for a $3.7 million budget. That insecurity actually led to development. So everything that i'm going to talk about today is this is autobiographical in some way because i think there's a lot of people who aren't given any special gifts just like i wasn't given any special financial gifts uh literally or uh in terms of intellect but i've managed to build a portfolio that supports itself i look at it like uh you know that saying like when you rise the seas for all of the ships i feel like each ship is like an investment and as you inject money into these different portfolios or these different investments that you have, all of it accumulates, right? So like you kind of forget about one that you started 10 years ago, but it's still growing the whole time while you're investing into other ventures. And I think as this younger generation becomes money smart, you know, like we got this whole culture around like Wall Street bets and Robinhood. And I know it's got some negatives to it, but it's at least people are getting out there and 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 trying and 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 testing the waters when it comes to investing. Now I think A lot of people consider the term investing uh, when it comes to stocks, being a Wall Street guy or whatever that is. But you as a consumer and as a business person or an employee, you have your own financial investment strategy. And if you don't, you've been shortchanging yourself in a lot of ways. Um, And I'll explain that more. But what I learned from this whole journey is to plant a bunch of seeds, plant as many as you can early on. And then when you're my age, I'm 33 right now. Some of those investments have been in the game, like 10 plus years now, that's a lot of time to accumulate compound interest. So the bigger they are earlier on, of course, the bigger that they've at an exponential level grown, not just a linear way. So the first thing when it comes to building a badass financial portfolio is this first, take care of your mind, educate yourself on the topic. Now it doesn't sound very glamorous. I'm going to give it to you in three bite-sized chunks that will make this more approachable. So, you know, root learning is, is never the most desirable <laughs> pursuit, right? It's like, I got to start something new and I'm going to know nothing about it and I'm going to be an amateur in it. But if you start with, by reading these three books, promise you, you will fly through them because they're really interesting and they're written in a more casual, interactive way. But if you read these three books, I guarantee you, your financial situation will change dramatically within a year. So the first book is Richest Man in Babylon. Now, I think I've talked about this on some episodes and some Instagram content and stuff like that, but The Richest Man in Babylon is an age-old tale. I kind of consider it the money Bible, and it's something you can read in a couple days. I've personally read it like five times at this point because it's got all of the money habits, the behaviors that will turn into habits, all of the fundamental financial education I think a person could need. And when you read it, it's got these simple rules like save a little bit at a time, pay down debt slowly, these principles that a lot of us break on a day-to-day basis. So that's why I've read it so many times because I have to resynchronize myself back into that positive financial behavior to keep my portfolio growing in the way that I want it to. So Richest Man in Babylon, I think it has six principles in it. It starts with, of course, work very hard, invest your money in things that you're expert in. Don't invest in topics that you're not expert in second pay yourself 10% of your pay right the metaphor that he uses in the book is he's like you pay you know to buy the ox you pay to uh have somebody transport the the wagon for you 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 pay the rent you pay to feed your family most of us don't pay ourselves so in that book he encourages you to pay yourself 10% of everything that you take home when you think about it you are kind of paying everybody else before you pay yourself if you're doing it the kind of the traditional way of thinking so yourself first which leads me to my second book but i'll go to that in a little bit here set aside a portion of your income just for you in this case savings or it can be into investments but we'll go into that later the next one is to pay down debt slowly a lot of people have accumulated debt from college i personally accumulated debt when i uh, did my master's degree it costed 50 grand and i had to pay that down at some point right thankfully i did but i did it slowly and the, the principle from the book is really good because if you try to pay it down like $5,000 at a time and that's going to clean out your whole bank account, then what you end up doing is setting yourself back into a place of of money scarcity. And so you you can't really get that level of consistency and contribution if you're trying to do it in one fell swoop. So it's much easier to do, you know, if your payment's 300 bucks a month on something, it's better to do it, you know, at $1,000 a month than at $5,000 a month. You got to find that balance between how much interest am I paying on it and how fast am I going to pay this down and what can I afford? But that principle has really helped me. And I regret that me and a lot of people took out financial loans for college, but it's a necessary evil for certain people. So he also talks about, like I said, uh, never investing in things that you're not expert in, which will be a, a super valuable one for you. But this is how you don't get caught in scams, right? You don't invest with uh, you know, a jeweler or a diamonds business if you're not a jeweler. Right. You, you invest in what you know, because you're going to understand the risks better. So the richest man in Babylon just has a lot of timeless principles, uh, like another one is like protect your money as hard as you work to earn it, work that hard to protect it. So don't spend it, spend it frivolously. So these principles really change things for me. That's why I read it so often. And I noticed that it wasn't painful to set aside money as I thought it would be. It was actually just like, OK, instead of having a thousand dollars to work with, I've got now got 850. So I got to do what I want with just this remaining money because I had set aside that, you know, 15% initially, which brings me to the second book. This is called profit first. Profit first is an accounting book. Now it sounds boring and accounting, trust me, I believe it's boring too, but it actually becomes fun, pretty fun. Uh, when you read this book one, because it's, it's uh, modeled around small business owners. So it could be like bakery owners or, car repair shops or construction companies. So it's built to the level that somebody uh, from that world can understand it and be advantageous in it. Uh, But it applies to all kinds of other business. I use it in my tech business, right? Like this is, these are principles again, that I consider this is like another financial Bible. So profit first is great because uh, it teaches you that the principle from richest man in Babylon, which is to pay yourself first. So if you get $10,000 in a month, And you say, okay, I'm going to reinvest into marketing. You might, you know, staff up the team. You might buy some additional software. You might spend money on ads that aren't working and burn through that $10,000. But in the book, he teaches you to uh, segment out your money, right? So one is you pay yourself first. In my case, I pay myself 35% of everything that I take home. So when I got a check for $10,000, 3,500 goes straight into my personal savings account and. Then I take another 10% for tax hold, so I put another, what is that, $1,000 out of 10,000, put it into a tax hold account so that I can pay money at the end of the year. This is especially important as business owners. If you're employed, you don't really have to worry about that because your employer is going to be withholding that for you. Next is to set aside your actual savings, so this would be separate from your salary, and then after that is your operating expenses. Now, when you've taken out your pay, your savings, your profit, your tax hold, and then you have your operating expenses left, you might only have $6,000 out of the $10,000 that you earned. But now with that $6,000, you're going to find a way to make it work to grow this business with less money, which makes you more resourceful and scrappy which ultimately leads you have a more effective business so it's actually good to to have prudence woven into how you budget to to limit yourself to only six thousand out of ten thousand dollars how can i do more with less in this situation and so that teaches you a really good behavior around being more resourceful but at the same time you're covering your ass when it comes to taxes you're paying yourself and you're putting money into the company savings account so it's just an amazing, amazing skill set to have. Uh, again, I reread that book often. I teach it to all of the people who work in my company. I teach it to my clients and I use it on my own company. And it's just been an incredible impact on my portfolio because during the early stages of starting a business, instead of just reinvesting everything and the money basically disappearing because it was poorly spent because I was inexperienced, now I've had a paycheck this whole time as an entrepreneur. When well, most entrepreneurs don't take a paycheck, they just kind of pay for their expenses and they use the rest to quote unquote grow the business which is a a very broken concept in my opinion third is money master the game now money master the game is by tony robbins it's a book that's like a tome Uh, again it's a it's one of the more difficult reads the the first two are books you could finish in like like a weekend this book is much longer but you kind of want one long format money book on money because as a consumer there really isn't much consumer finance content out there that is taught to us through schools and through colleges and stuff like that. Most of it is learned either from our parents or maybe we go actively find it. But Money Master the Game is framed around consumer finance. So it will teach you to be smart about real estate. It will teach you to be smart about ETFs and bonds and stocks and all that stuff while giving you a full portfolio design perspective on your your whole financial situation. Um, My favorite principle from that book is that he talks about your risk investments and your safe investments. So if your portfolio was split into two, say 70, 30, like for myself, I'm younger, relatively, <laughs> my friends make fun of me for being old, I don't know, 70% of my portfolio goes toward, toward risk assets, maybe 80% now at this point. Because I'm younger, I have more time to make mistakes, I have more times to take risks, and I'm, I'm more in the game, if you will, whereas 20% is dedicated to safe investments. So in my risk portfolio i have things like crypto i have my multiple businesses that i'm either invested in or founder of and then i've got things like that my amazon store that costs a lot of money up front so those kind of investments those more relative business investments and early startups and things like that angel investing i consider that stuff very very risky but i'm taking those chances now and i, I would rather spend my money there than on myself for the, the hopes that I either learn a valuable lesson or they they multiply like 10x, like a lot of angel investments do. And then on the other side, you've got the the safe portfolio. So your safe portfolio is where you put things like bonds, stocks, gold, and you have cash, like your rainy days, you know, your rainy day savings account. That's basically either fixed income. Like, you know, they're going to pay you 5% per year by holding it in this you know money market or whatever it is versus the risk portfolio. And so by age, you're, of course, going to be moving along that risk spectrum. But what it will teach you in the money mass of the game is that the longer you stick with it, if you look at all of the different uh, professionally managed funds, financial funds throughout the world, the ones that perform the best are not the ones that are actively managed. It are the ones that are passively managed. So ETFs. ETFs are basically exchange traded fund. This is a this is a fund that you can buy through Vanguard or whoever provides your 401k that mocks the S&P or that mocks the Dow. So it'll just take the top companies and say the S&P 500, and that will be all of the investments in it. So it'll only be trading the most valuable companies who have the most consistent growth. And if you look at ETFs over the years, they outperform dramatically compared to more active investments like hedge funds or like day trading, stuff like that. So that book was really, really uh, impactful on my portfolio design as somebody who didn't have much financial training in my younger years. Next is the diversity spectrum. So you've got these three books. You've got Richest Man in Babylon, Profit First, and Money Master the Game. I'm going to put them in the show notes so you guys have them. Now let's talk about the diversity spectrum. Now this is a concept I made up, but it just seems very relevant. So we're going to roll with it. So uh, if you are listening, listener to the Naval show or Naval Ravikant, the founder of angel.co, he's one of my favorite writers and thought leaders and investors out there, but he, he talks about this concept of when you're early and you're less experienced, you're going to generally want a more diverse portfolio because you don't want a lot of direct exposure to any one arena because you're not expert in any one arena yet. As you get more specialized skills, you can invest more heavily into those kind of deeper investments or make you know more focused, bigger portion of your portfolio go into one investment. But early on, when you're like more of a generalist, you want to be very diversified. And you could be 50 and still need to be very diversified because you may not have specialized skills. Maybe you're working some job that you can't invest directly around that work and you just developed a little portfolio you need to invest it. It still works smart to diversify. I have a very diverse portfolio because I'm kind of a generalist, right? I've got startup investments, angel investments in like four different companies. I've got like tequila. I've got marketing AI, I've got CBD, I have gaming software. Because when I was younger, I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. I was investing in a lot of different stuff. And Now that I'm growing more specialist and expert, I'm moving down the spectrum, the diversification spectrum, toward fewer investments, but bigger plays in those investments. So that's when you really are, are hitting the pinnacle of your career and you're growing so expert in something that You can be confident that investing 80% of your portfolio in this will turn you a good outcome because you've got you got scars to show for it. Right. I think about my friend Felix, who manages a crypto hedge fund. All of his assets are in crypto at this point, but he is so expert in it. I mean, he's probably been doing it like five years now, like around the clock, like 80 hours a week. But he can do that because he is such a depth expert when it comes to crypto that him investing everything there will give immense results. And he knows that confidently. But for somebody like you or like your parents who might not know that much about crypto or whatever, it's not going to be the best idea to just dump all your money into crypto, right? It's super volatile. There's a lot of scams and shit coins out there and stuff like that. But because he has matured, he has moved along the diversification spectrum toward fewer investments that are deeper and more expert versus when you're early, you want to be more diversified. So some of the ways that you can diversify as an early investor are your 401k, your IRA, buy mutual funds on Vanguard. I have like a separate investment account just set up for me to just buy ETFs. And that's kind of like the set it and forget it stuff. If you look at, I have like a tracking document, like an Excel file that has all of my different financial investments and how much I invested at the time, what it's worth today and what that percentage growth was. I've got, you know, the company, I've got crypto, I've got all these different arenas. And the one that performs the best is my ETFs. Just like we learned in Money Master the Game. Over the last 12 years, I've been investing into this fund. I do an automatic deposit, which I'll talk about in a second here. But that has been building on its own. Remember, profit first, paying to the investment account before I go spend that money. So, you know, throwing 100 bucks a week over the course of 52 weeks, 10 years, you're talking about 520 investments, right? So it starts to add up, but that particular portfolio, the ETF, it has more than doubled in value. It's like 2.6 X or 260% growth. So what seems only like 10 or 15% per year is actually turned into 260%. So that's why I encourage you to, to have early investments as soon as you can, because the longer they're just sitting, the more they will accumulate, right? Compound interest. You've got plenty of lessons in this. So that's the set it and forget it stuff. And as you get more mature, more expert and more specialist, then you can take shorter plays, more depth in those plays. And you know things like crypto, you can become you know, a swing trader or a day trader or whatever. But you don't want to do that until you've, you've scraped your knees with fewer zeros involved. Last one, pay your needs and then invest the rest. This is basically how I live my life. And this, is, this has really blessed my financial portfolio in the sense that I don't, I never like overspend. I'm never like in a position where I can't afford something or I go into debt if I you know have a car repair come up uh, because basically everything that I get, when I get a paycheck, pretty much all of it just goes into investing. My personal checking account only has like $1,000 in it, but all of my different portfolios or different uh, investment accounts have <laughs> obviously way more than that. Um, but I keep it that way so that my personal checking isn't tempting me to go spend that money. If I had a hundred grand in that checking account, I mean what's spending 200 bucks on a pair of shoes like you could do that so many times before it would leave an impact on that account so i take it out of that account so now i've only got 800 bucks and i had a thousand bucks in there before and this is, teaches me to spend like i'm broke but to invest like i'm rich so just like what we talked about from the first book uh profit first you want to take your profit right so if you earn five thousand dollars a month at your professional job take a thousand bucks and set it aside and then budget around having $4,000 and make it work on that. Like we talked about second, set up automated deposits. Some of the way that I do this is I initially did it by opening a new bank account that was not on my phone that I couldn't see. And I just started like transferring money over to it. Nowadays, they have like a lot of apps for that. So I've got acorns, which rounds up every dollar that I spend and drops the change into an investment account in Vanguard funds. I've got automated deposits on that Vanguard, so I've got, I think it's like, it's like $200 a week goes into that account, I think. And it's been doing that for years, probably like four years now. Meanwhile, whenever I get, you know, a big chunk of change, I will just take those few thousand bucks and go invest them directly into my acorns. So do one-time investments. This is called dollar cost averaging when you're buying consistently, no matter what the market factors look like. And that uh, over time, it's a Warren Buffett concept over time. Because we're generally in bull markets, any bear markets will eventually recover. So your investments will, in the grand spectrum, they'll grow a lot over time. More than if you make a few thousand dollar investment at a time because you're trying to time the market. The issue with that is that emotions get involved. You often sell your investments when you see them drop and you think it's gonna fall like lead in water. So it's better to just set it and forget it. Auto deposits, same amount every week. Um, I do this with my crypto portfolio, like my safe crypto portfolio, I buy a thousand dollars a week in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I just do that week after week. I don't care what the price is. I just want to start accumulating that coin. So by doing these low consistent investments, one, it's not uh, super painful. It's not going to ruin your budget. And two, it's not going to expose you to the risk of the emotion that comes with the up and downs of the market, especially if you're in something like crypto or stocks. So uh, as an early investor, you want to be investing consistently. Not just, even if it's out of a lack of knowledge, it's still a good investment strategy. Meanwhile, you're building this portfolio kind of in the background. And before you know it, you'll have five, six, seven, eight different investments that are all accumulating value. Maybe you forgot about the first four and they've been compounding over the years and paying you. And so when all those are together, you know, you will realize that one month you made more off your investments than off your day job and you realize that you could quit your day job and just live off those investments if you were to take that money out. And that's a super empowering feeling. And it's, it's closer than you think. I think that when I first visualized it, I did it when I was 27, I'm 33, so it was six years ago when I first thought about this concept of my investments paying for my lifestyle. So if you got a million dollars in the bank or in an investment account and it gives you 15% per year, you're talking about $150,000 salary. So you could continually take out that $150,000 and live on it, and your million dollars would continue churning out $150,000 a year in profit for you. So this concept, that really struck me. That's what—and I realized this is how rich people do it. They'll, They'll never run out of money because even if they spend everything that they make, their investments are duplicating all of that income, and you will never cut into that income if you just leave it in those investment accounts. So there's, there's a fulcrum point in your investing career where your investments now move from being marginal or nominal amounts to where they're actually larger than what you make in your day-to-day. And this is where the sea rises for all of the ships because it's all happening. All the investments are growing in a compound way without your involvement. I think it goes without saying, don't spend all the money that you make because, <laughs> and I can't emphasize this enough, When you spend money, you are not only losing, say, $1,000 on a pair of shoes, you are losing the opportunity to invest that money in something that's going to pay you dividends, right? something that's going to pay you a profit. So if you buy $1,000 of Bitcoin after five years, it might be worth $5,000, but those shoes are going to be trash after five years. So you're losing an opportunity to make money every time you spend money. So you're getting a double negative outcome when you spend money, if you invest it getting a double positive outcome. It's being saved, one. And then two, it's accumulating more money. It's working for you. So when you put these things together, consistent deposits, profit first, protecting your money as hard as you earn it, and having a a designed portfolio, you'll notice, I mean, I think I started this process maybe like 10 years ago, (laughs) but it'll all make sense because one day you'll realize like, wow, my money's actually working for me. And that's where I want you to get. So I didn't want to talk about too many of my specific investments in this episode. I really want to talk more conceptually about how to kind of get there and how to be thinking about money in a mindful way so that you can set yourself up to start investing. But the first step is getting educated on it. So check out the three books I left in the notes. I think they're going to help a lot. And in in another episode, I will go into the, the spiritual relationship with money. This is the the extension of this money mindfulness concept is how do we spiritually relate to it Um, so look out for that episode again thanks for listening i hope this was valuable to you this is stuff that's been really valuable to my journey and i'm glad to be sharing it with you Uh, if you like this please share it out text it to a friend or whatever whoever you think might be interested in getting smarter with their money and building a portfolio that multiplies all right i'll see you next time next monday here on zen business cheers